0: You know what? It's surprisingly easy to create your own website, blog, or online store. With Weebly, you can bring your vision to life. Anyone at any skill level can build a fully functional website with Weebly. Whether you're a beginner or a professional, the interface is fun to use and there is no coding required. Weebly was created for people with the courage to start their own business and the dream to be their own boss. Again, you don't need to be a web designer or know how to code to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Weebly has a wide variety of professionally designed, mobile-friendly themes to choose from. Simply drag and drop to quickly build and publish your site. It's that easy. And you can truly customize, update, and change your site anytime you want from any device. So look, join the over 30 million people who are already dreaming big with Weebly. Get started today for free at weebly.com crush. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot Com slash crush. weebly.com slash crush. Peace. All right, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Yeah. You don't want to cheer. You don't want to cheer. For you. You're just breathing into the microphone. Anyway, um, and, and guys, in case you're tuning in for the first time ever, first of all, shame on you. Secondly, please keep tuning in. Uh, but this show covers all things innovation, creativity, smart people doing smart things in the world um and today the buck does not stop it literally the buck does not stop because uh, you're all about the bucks. um please say hello mike rothenberg hello everybody uh wow well, you sound you sound so ma- mature and, and commanding in, in, in my ears right now it's your show brings no, out the best it, yeah it does, yeah okay uh, we'll we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, if you don't mind give give the people a little bit of a 101 the 92nd version of
1: uh who Mike Rothenberg is and, and what you're up to. All right. Um, I'm Mike Rothenberg and I currently run a couple of companies. Um, Rothenberg Ventures, an early stage venture capital firm. Uh, we have a strategy of investing in frontier technologies, which I'm sure we'll get into, and uh, building ecosystems to help do that. And the second company is River Studios. And it's a virtual reality, and can do other media too. Uh, studio um, and, uh, and production company. So we make content.
0: So so you have no shortage of uh, time
1: available. I I uh, <laughs> well, if, if I ever get a few more minutes, I start another company. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, let's not give you any more minutes because you're already taking over the world. Um, so
1: let's go to your first point. Uh, what is Frontier Tech? Frontier technology is the space between R and D. And mass market adoption, so it's when a uh, exciting uh, technology is really growing. So it could be, you know, the internet in the '90s or mobile in the early 2000s. And today, it's things like virtual reality and augmented reality, artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer vision, satellite space, drones, robotics. All these things work, uh, but aren't necessarily mass market adopted. So, so they're they're in that they're in that gap of high growth without a lot of e- infrastructure around them. Um, and when you talk about the infrastructure and the ecosystems that you're building around,
0: that's a really interesting point because I think, yes, people think virtual reality is cool or at least the ones who know what it is. Right. And I think that's all part of being, uh, on the frontier of something. Right. Um, what sort of, yes, you're investing in the companies who are making the technology and the hardware and the software, but then the, how do you approach the marketplace to expand their growth? And like, your ROI, exactly. which is a, a term I hate. but Exactly.
1: Well, that, that's the key about the types of technologies that are passing through R&D, and they work, but not everybody uses them, is they don't know about them either. So to build co- great companies, you need people to make decisions. You need people to want to join the company, so they have to know the industry exists. And if talented people don't know it exists, they're not, they're not going to know to join it or build a company. There's also, you need to attract capital. Investors need to invest in it. Um, usually you have to build for a, a while before there's big profit pools. So you got it, you got to invest. And then there's always experienced entrepreneurs, advisors, um, customers, all these people need to be making decisions that help support your company and and your industry. So in the early days, when it's not that well known, you can uh, build ecosystems, meaning bring people together, uh, have, you know, in, in our case, we have an, we have an accelerator where we invest in, Um, right now we have 18 companies, uh, in the river accelerator and, uh, they're, they're building these kinds of frontier technology companies. And then we can bring them together with, um, you know, to have them have demo days or have them bring them all together to show all of their technologies off. And then that attracts other great people who want to learn about it. And then maybe they get excited about it and then you can, you can start to build that momentum. And then it's kind of,
0: you're like dropping the first domino in in a sense. That's right.
1: Um, so
0: I can't help, but notice that you're a, a young man. (laughs) <laughs> um, a lot of articles out there, you know, I think you, Rothenberg, you started when you were 28 ish somewhere yeah, around there. yeah, 28. Um, and I would imagine this is, you got like a multi-layered pitch, right? First of all, you, it's like, who's this kid, right? And then also like, what, what kind of technology are you talking about? And you want me to give you, like, I'm, and I'm just thinking on the investor side alone. Like to go, That's hey, right. guys, give me your money. Trust me with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> like, what's the what's
1: the Mike Rothenberg pitch experience to get <laughs> people on board
0: to to be a part of what you're doing?
1: Well, there's a very different pitch when you first start than after you've been going for a few years. And the difference is, um, you know, you're attracting almost, in our case, even though it was a venture capital firm, it still feels a lot like a seed round or an angel investing round where people are basically investing on, You, your ability to walk through walls, you know, how nuts are you? Are you the right kind of nuts? Um, Do we think that you... uh, What kind of nuts are you? (laughs) Well, the people who invested (laughs) think that, you know, hopefully think that I'm the right kind of nuts. Right. (laughs) But you have to be nuts to do any kind of startup. And if you want to start a venture capital firm and bootstrap that, you you know, it's 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 another level of nuts. So if people have to think that you uh, we'll, we'll do that. We'll actually follow through. And the way that they judge that a lot of times is based on your reputation and their experiences with you. By the time I was 28, I was young, but I had 10 years of experience, uh, at, 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 at Stanford and, and, uh, in the businesses I was doing and building relationships. And then again, in business school. So there were a lot of, a lot of people who ended up investing in me when I started already knew me and may, right. may have known me for 10 years. So th- that, that was like a 10 year pitch, not like a, not like a one week pitch.
0: So you kind of basically spent the 10 years
1: building a network and like, Hey guys, I got an opportunity or I have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, you know, they, pro- a lot of those people, especially at the very beginning probably would have given me, you know, one shot, whatever it is I was pitching them and say, okay. And when I told them that it was, an, you know, trying to build a venture capital firm, they were probably like, Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> like another one. Um, like, all right, here's the, here's a little bit. of So that's
0: interesting though. Like, 10 years prior, which puts you at 18, you know, high yeah. school U.S. math Olympian. Yeah. Bef- yeah. Before that. St- standing on the, on the podium, like just cheered on your country. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Did a lot of math. five times seven. Yeah. No. It, what is it? Oh. I'm not even going to answer. That. <laughs> so what I have an 11 year old and I, I like, I just will blurt out math problems. And that's if, good. If she, if she messes up, I, I beat her. <laughs> um, but no, no. So, you know, what at, at 18 you beat her in math, yes thank you you just (laughs) just making sure just got the fcc off my back you're you're a good dude um uh at 18 15 13 like what
1: was your future vision for yourself like what was it this like or were you just like the math the math guy Uh, i spent you know my first 18 years in in central texas just north of austin really close-knit family i've got um three siblings mom dad um we never moved either and uh really you know we we, we would very really creative you know we did a lot of uh things together and we would you know even make parodies and songs and all kinds of stuff from time to time um but but pretty, pretty but Rothen- i want to see the rothenberg family like uh <laughs> album right. not, not the photo album the album that you <laughs> the parody right, right. album <laughs> <laughs> no you don't <laughs> but uh but you know Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty little town though. So not a whole lot going on, and and basically could spend a lot of our time on various things. So my older brother put almost all of his time into things like architecture. He's an architect now, and my older sister is just playing music a lot, and she became a uh, you know semi professional piano player and music teacher, and and uh, she's amazing. And my my little brother's an animator. He was just drawn ever since he could put a hand, uh, you know, put a put a pen in his uh, hand, and he's you know it's incredible to see what he does. And and I do math and, and right now a lot of, the, you know, my creative channel is building businesses uh, and the thing those things have in common is uh, pattern recognition and problem solving. So I was, I would, I would always have math problems with me, I would, uh, either in my head or a- actually carrying them around. So really I, I was, you know, even from the time I was like 12 to 18, you know, I, I was probably doing math almost constantly. What? was it
0: about math that like resonated with you? Cause that's not a, you know, it's not as common as most of uh, uh, say Americans would like, especially <laughs> for their kids, you know, um, to like, we all want our kids to be like, I wish you would pick up a, you know, <laughs> a math book
1: and not like a, a fifth harmony CD. I, you know, math we don't make math fun for kids. It's actually a traumatic experience most of the time. So if by the time you go into school and then you get shown math problems and you're um you know everybody falls off kind of at some point right you know maybe it's not the first class but it could be like you know third grade uh but at some point you get a bad teacher um or or something goes wrong you know you miss a bunch of classes and you miss, you miss a you miss a, you miss a, the links and and it happens almost everybody and so then what by that time you're you're kind of faking it after that you're trying to memorize stuff for these tests that you don't want to take uh there just seems to be that annoying guy or girl that seems to get it and you know, you don't really want, you don't really have time to, like, ask them. Um, I, I, by the way, the, um, I, I, I started a tutoring company when, at Stanford, and, and uh, I, you know, tutored probably a couple hundred kids. So, wow. so I, I got to, this is, this, is, this is, I saw what was going on. And, and, and actually, what's funny is that all of them were smarter than they thought they were. All of them. And I, I, would, I was just curious why they thought they were so bad at math, because after spending some time with them, they, they weren't. Almost, almost any of them. And it was always the same, like, like nobody, uh, nobody, nobody invested in them enough to help catch them up. And then they didn't, they didn't know to be proactive enough to do it. So when you're not that good at something and somebody's making you do it, it's really terrible. So so that's why people hate math. Uh, It's not because they started off hating math. It's because they learned to hate math. Well, as long as I'm counting this money. I will love math. Um, so
0: no, that, that's, that's cool. And I, I love that, you know, it's, it's your creative outlet for, I like, I, I refer to most innovation as creative problem solving. Right. And, and the fact that you, have you know, you've ventured out into this, this arena. Um, I'm curious though, with, with Rothenberg, especially as a relatively new venture firm and river studios, even newer, um, how you go about, and you're in Silicon Valley, which is crazy. And I think, to establish a new brand in that space. Yes, there's Frontier Tech, but there's also a lot of other funds that kind of dabble in that space a little bit, maybe differently than you do. But, you know, how did you go about establishing a brand? Because, and thankfully, thank you, I got to spend a day with you and your team um this, this, this past week. That was fun. Uh That was super fun. Um But, and, and it felt like a really cool brand and a really cool bunch of people to be around, which is, you know, you don't necessarily associate that when you think about Silicon Valley. So how did you go about establishing that brand?
1: We believe in ecosystems, too. so that 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 gives us permission to do things like um, build try to build community. That's where people have a shared sense of purpose. And what I think what venture capital was supposed to do and what it started off doing, you know fifty years ago was um, actually was investing in frontier tech. so so there was a bigger funding gap if you wanted to build you know Intel. like how are you going to get semiconductors done? So you just need a bunch of money. and there wasn't, you know, that's where venture capital industry started was, was helping with that stuff. And that was just super frontier tech and, and almost everything was, um, now there's a really a whole lot of me too companies, you know, maybe you can make a little bit better app or maybe your website or your e-commerce things a little better. And, uh, you know, by and large, a lot of the industry is kind of shifted away to being really technology startup investors, as opposed to frontier tech, where, where I think a lot of the growth is and where a lot of the. Um, you know, really interesting part is so when it comes to uh, the ecosystem, it, it 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 means that part of our strategy is to bring people together. It can be small dinners, it can be uh, you know we, we have the accelerator every every week. We have you know open houses. We can have people come by and try the stuff. It's also like user feedback, and then uh, a lot of really great things happen when you have a lot of interested, curious people talking to each other a lot. So we we're really facilitating tons of these interactions. It's kind of a belief in people. And uh, when it comes to building a brand, you need people to pay attention to care and to have a consistent uh, experience right. so if if people are coming by and actually meeting us and meeting people we invest in, meeting each other, and it's consistently high high quality of experiences, things they're seeing, people they meet, then it and it keeps reinforcing itself. so um just like you know we were talking about earlier with with math and pattern recognition and problem solving, a lot of this stuff is reps, so if you only interact with a brand once, you have, you, do, you don't have any idea what it stands for, and you won't even remember it. Right. If you interact with it a lot, have a lot of interactions, like like uh, when when you came and hung out with us, you probably had a lot of interactions there. And if they had a consistent feel to it, then you no, feel nobody like talked it. to me. I felt very lonely. <laughs> yeah.
0: just sat in the corner crying most of the time.
1: Yeah, that, that was you. Okay. Yeah, that was me. Oh yeah, you saw the heap of clothes and just yeah, that was sh- sad. shivering. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks for uh, walking by. <laughs> no.
1: no, but uh, if you have a lot of interactions like that, then you can. You can start to form um, you know, community and, and some consistency, and, and that's the brand. And I think by by both our strategy and our efforts, um, I don't know of any other venture capital firms that have that many that facilitate that many interactions. That gives us an opportunity to have a very strong brand.
0: Well, that's an investment in and of itself. And I think a lot of times people make a business decision on, like, I mean, to take over, you know for the, the AT&T
1: park field, I'm sure was, you know, hey, let me tell you about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that was our third one, third annual founder field day at AT&T park. So we, uh, it was funny cause it's, it's consistent with this. How do you build a brand co- question? Cause we wanted to bring people together uh, in a big way, um, have a, have our annual meeting and have all these demos and bring all these founders. So founders are people who build these companies and they're pretty pretty phenomenal people and it's really hard to get them to go do anything besides build their company. The Best ones, super addicted to building their company um, and they should be. And so the idea was, okay, what, how would we design this from a founder perspective to make this a must attend event? And so with that as its design principle, then you've come to some interesting conclusions. You would want to do a year of networking in a day because you're real busy. So you're, maybe you're not going out much. So you need to have a lot of really amazing people there. And then it needs to be really interesting. So uh, when we have 40 frontier technology companies with a lot of VR demoing, it's like seeing 10 movie premieres at once. You're just seeing everything coming. Even yeah. the people who are building this stuff want to see that stuff. So that makes that really compelling and educational. And then we thought, but if we had it at like, you know, some hotel lobby like, or something, conference room, Ooh. <laughs> All right, like everything <laughs> the banquet else. The room. <laughs> right. And it was it was it was a secret. It was secretly like a conference. You know, we never used that word. So so the right. words you use matter, too. And so we said, what would be it needed to be in San Francisco because we're in Bay Area, we're in the Bay Area and, and we think that's the center of the of the ecosystem. And, and, and so and you don't want to make people drive a lot if they're coming from the city. So it's like, OK, so what are the iconic venues in San Francisco? And our number one choice was AT&T Park. It's extremely iconic. It's a it's a, it also gave the right vibe you know, you want people to, it's a, it's a playfulness to it. Yeah. Um, we do let everybody hit baseballs from home plate. That's just another, you know, fun aspect to it. You know, flying drones, have race cars, all all this stuff, you know, VR. It's just a lot of that stuff is, is because you want people to, um, to care and to to come out. And then what, what happens is then they talk to each other when they're there and all the connections are made. Yeah. So we, um, uh, you know, we realized that, um, that it had to be iconic and it had to be really, you know, big like that or or it wouldn't be interesting enough to get all the people that we wanted to encourage to be there to be there so since we're fresh off that your third one
0: you know what's what what are the, like the immediate pieces of feedback you get like the because I, I i refer to those moments as collisions you've, you've facilitated <laughs> a lot of collisions right whether you're standing in line to hit baseballs or you like you're waiting in line to do magic leap or you know in, mm-hmm. any of this stuff um uh or sorry the, not magically but but uh, damn it uh collins a, yes yeah. thank you um and meta we had two air yes I, I did meta which was really cool awesome. um but yeah you, you i mean you're facilitating those collisions at, at that moment in time so that's pretty 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 awesome um uh I'm also oh so no sorry the feedback what like what's the immediate thing that comes back to you like what do you hear uh, immediately they really don't want to wait a year to do that again <laughs> <laughs> you're like well you're gonna have to yeah <laughs> um no in i mean just to ex, to give the audience a little bit of examples of the types of people there that were there i mean i met somebody who worked on the google contact lens um and his robotics friends who's doing like robots for hotels and and things like that but then you got a salesperson who does vr advertising like you know it's just right. it's just really you know and, and i would imagine a conversation between those three people and out of what 7 or 800 that attended during that yeah we had a 1000 oh okay so yeah i, I can't do math um <laughs> uh no it, and that's i mean that's a great testament to, to what you guys do um and then throughout the year like what are the mini versions of you know the, that those brand experiences
1: i think there's some it, there's some interesting demo days when we have a concentrated group of companies that that get to feature and show off their uh, what they're building and 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 get interest and then we have uh i think we're going to do something pretty exciting um next summer uh 2017 we're going to bring together um you know that that kind of conference feel where you have where you have some of the panels and stuff but then we'll also have uh, VR premieres cuz i think by the time of next summer that will be a pretty pretty well known phenomenal thing to have have VR but but i think the quality of the content will be stepped up a lot. And we'll also have you know musicians. Like the idea there is we'll bring a lot of folks together and do all the things people want to do. Um that's uh, that's that's uh that's gonna be exciting.
0: So uh I'm looking forward to it. All summer 16- oh, sorry it's <laughs> my Drake. Um when I think about VR and and I i work a lot with VR myself and we actually did a project with you guys, so thank you. Um but uh, the question I always get asked, especially by civilians, is like are people really gonna do this? Like you know, or even some of the brands and things that I yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, that I get to talk to on a, on a regular basis sure it's like is this really going to happen like what do you see the realistic future of
1: vr being well you have you probably have two types of listeners right now the the people who are skeptical of vr and the people who have tried vr right no one's skeptical once they've tried it
0: i don't know like so i mean to me and 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 this is by far not the best comparison but sometimes i say the part of me feels like it's going to go the way of the 3d tv It'll be a big hype of millions of units will ship. And then people will be like, okay, like I watched two movies on it. Um, If I have a VR headset in my home, like how often am I going to sit down and explore a piece of VR content?
1: I think just in the last, you know, 24 hours or something, uh, Google just announced that they're, that they've, they've created the standards for, for VR development, which, which is a really big deal. It's, it's the equivalent of Android for VR. And it all, they also announced they're going to be building hardware on it and software and everything else. They're, they're coming into the consumer play. Right. And may, maybe they think that uh, Apple is slow to the ball here and all the profits they made with the iPhone back in the day can, they will now uh, open for grabs. Maybe Google can get them on the VR side. Um, Facebook's been slow to ship their Oculus Rift. Um, yep. And, uh, and it sold out quickly, though. Sold, yeah, sold out quickly. <laughs> like fifteen seconds see yes and then yeah. it's like suddenly happened with the Vive like, too. Where, where is it? <laughs> yeah, the Vive too. Yeah, it sold out fast too. And HTC is really, really smart to go in all in on VR. Their their other businesses are struggling, so uh, you know Google is uh, really ahead of the game here by creating the standards. It's incredibly smart. Um, all of the big tech companies are are investing billions into this. It's it's it's. Uh, it won't it, it will be impossible for it to be the case that there's only three to five million units shipped because there's you know a hundred million in development um, in terms of uh what what you would do every day I, I think that the the daily the daily application for it will likely still be communications as it is with every kind of platform, whether it's your mobile phone or your, or your uh laptop um, And the kind of communication that that we'd like to do is is to uh, have that feeling of presence with uh friends and family uh, loved ones. Um I live in a different state now than a lot of my family and if I'm you know reading a bedtime story to my nephews or my niece I'd rather feel like I was there and I would much rather do that in VR and even if I can't hold them which I'd like to do if I can see them and see their expressions and kind of feel like they're right there then that will be a, for them and for me 100%. that that will be a memory. Yeah Samsung of.
0: just announced like their whole like bedtime stories thing which yeah. is looking
1: pretty cool. And that's something you would you would do every day if you could was spend a few minutes with loved ones. Yeah um and then you know i think there's the other
0: implications i think when most people think of it or they hear about it it's usually from some sort of consumer facing standpoint but you've also got like the medical implications you know you mentioned this even in your opening talk it was was about like treating ptsd and um and you know helping medical students learn how systems work uh, just through vr let alone ar being you know sort of the same implications even in uh, I think the medical industry mm-hmm. is lo- like mm-hmm. really causing a spike in augmented reality because of what can be done in hospitals now. Oh, it's very exciting. So, um, so it, it's exciting for you. So outside of VR, AR and all the other R's, um, <laughs> rated R for Rothenberg. Look, it's, uh, it's all magical. <laughs> um, so w- what are some other, I mean, you, you talked about space, you talked about drones, like what other in your, in the Mike Rothenberg ecosystem are you like
1: really excited about, you know, next? <laughs> so we do invest in uh, a variety of things currently, and then I think uh, you might be asking about what's coming up in the future. Even it's, it's like the frontier of frontier, the frontier frontier. Uh, you know, just like all
0: your the different verticals that you have. But yes, what is the final frontier?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our our current verticals uh, that we spend a lot of time on are our virtual reality, augmented reality. But then there's a whole family of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer vision, which are all pretty related. And then there's also uh, space and satellites. There's a lot of, you know, not, not anything from having consumer rides to space to collecting all the data from, uh, you know, little, little and big satellites on all around the world. It's and, and even maybe uh, asteroid mining. There's all kinds of interesting stuff that happens when it becomes not very expensive to send things to space. <laughs> right. And then, uh, and then, then we also have robotics and drones. Um, those are interesting now for similar reasons that a lot of the things that used to be expensive aren't. And so, and so there's a lot of really interesting applications.
0: You're doing, you're doing all the stuff that people are scared of.
1: If, right. if there was an awesome Hollywood movie that involved technology, <laughs> like uh, Terminator or Matrix, you know, Matrix was VR, Terminator, you know, there's obviously robotics and AI. Uh, people, like, people are scared of If there's, there's something the awesome, some <laughs> awesome movie, we probably invest in it.
0: <laughs> that's true well the, I mean but then I think the, in, I've had this conversation a couple of times on the show um, shout out to Ari Popper from Sci Futures which <laughs> uh, his company actually hires science fiction writers to invent futures for companies hmm. so they work with like Visa and Crayola and, like they do really some amazing work but you know, especially at the intersection of Hollywood and what people have seen in mm-hmm. the Terminator and it's like, yeah. Oh no, the the machines are taking over. Yeah. Um uh and there's definitely a lot of conversation, fear, apprehension, and excitement mm-hmm. about the pot like I just got a Amazon mm-hmm. echo and I'm like I talk to Alexa <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so, so, so like my wife hates me now because I was like, Shut up, I'm talking to Alexa. Um, but, but how, like, how do you deal with the people that, uh, or how do you, how do you help people overcome those sort of, so I'll call it psychological hurdles.
1: That actually, that's one of the most important questions in technology. And, and, uh, there's a, there's, that's always been the case whenever there's a new technology, people are always worried about what it'll do and they they should be, they, I mean, they should always be thinking about it. Anything right. that causes a big change for good can also Uh, be, you know, have, 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 have negative consequences. Um, And and the example you're referring to is that uh, with with virtual reality, you can help people uh, cure their PTSD because you can put them in situations where they can be, you know, um, evolving their memories and, 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 and cure their phobias because you can practice, you know, speaking in front of people, flying on a plane, being in a car, you can practice these things from, from your home. And uh, that, that helps. So that it also has the potential, potentially, to cause PTSD if you, if you created a VR world that was that traumatic. So we have to be uh, really careful about that. And, and, and that's, a, that's a sense of responsibility. So um, re- very recently, w- because we build ecosystems, then it's some of our, we think it's some of our responsibility to understand some of these questions. So uh, actually earlier this week, we announced that we are doing the um uh the river institute and what we'll be doing with that is exploring those questions that come up inevitably with new technologies and try to take a fair you know bipartisan look and see if um what happens if you have a mobile phone right that that close to your face that's what vr is and what if you have it uh, you burns your eyes out. A beam of I light, heard. you know, like in your eyes, like AR. And what right. happens when you people have drones that they can fly all over the place? Like, where should they go? Where they sh- should they not go? How do you keep that in order? Um, you know, should robotics, like, should robots be allowed to marry each other? These are important questions. <laughs> <laughs> Robot marriage. You heard it here. <laughs> that is, that that was that was silly um
0: is that a real is it no real, i just threw that in there because you're
1: looking tired so i wanted no, no, to wake I'm you not tired. I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: you got my wheels turning um uh no i i, I like this idea of a river and student, and there's other sort of offshoots and, and and things that you're working on that, that kind of you know don't necessarily i mean they affect the business that you're in but they also answer these bigger questions and allow people to think a little bit more broadly, which I think is great in terms of how you try to build, you know, this relationship ecosystem. People can be more than just an engineer or a founder of a company. They can actually help solve the big problems and you get to think big for them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so how, how will the river Institute work? Is that like, are you working with government? Are you, is it, you know, is it government regulations? Are you like just kind of sitting in a room with a bunch of people in a glass of wine? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's a think tank and, and um, you know, we're, we're hiring um uh, we're hiring you know historians and uh analysts and uh and you know people to look into these uh difficult problems and their output will be primarily will primarily be white papers so they'll they'll just be like here's the the situation and here are factors that play in and here's factors that should be considered and here's what we could do about it so the the, the suggestions won't be limited to just policy policy is um something that is important and that's what happens in Washington sometimes. And, (laughs) and, uh, and then, but it can also say, well, we should also, you know, get the message out this way or that way or the other. And um, it should be a resource for anybody who's uh, worried because a lot of times people are worried because they don't understand it. So what we're trying to do first and foremost is uh, open up the information and, and sharing and knowledge base and, and, and have a more balanced conversation.
0: Uh, speaking of conversations, you and I had a little conversation around politics, you know, being that this is an mm-hmm. election year. Um, it is? Uh, yeah. I haven't seen that in Just the news so you know, at all. No, there's, this, uh, there's, a, I think there's a Democrat and a... I forget the parties. But anyway. Um, well, one, one of the candidates <laughs> is,
1: is definitely a Democrat. And 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 there's a libertarian going after the Democrat, right? Yep. And then are socialists. Socialists yes. going after the Democrat. Just and just then, the, then, the other candidate, if we if we can call him that, definitely has no party affiliation, but realized how to take over the Republican Party. So they, they've been overthrown by, uh, by a, um, I guess he's really good at, uh, reality TV star. That, that, oh yes, uh, I heard about this guy. Yeah. So that that's what happened on that side, <laughs> and,
0: uh, um, you know, it, it, I guess. It, I think when you get to to look at this whole broad ecosystem and you start to talk about policy, and I think decisions that can be made politically will also affect what you're able to do with this frontier tech and in, in, in your ecosystem. How, mm-hmm. Like, how are you fearful in any way of like the outcome, or you know, are you comfortable comfortable in the fact that like you're going to be awesome and amazing at the end of the day anyway, or um, or are you even combating any of the the things that you kind of see coming down the pipeline?
1: I think it's naive to think that the you know that what happens on the national stage doesn't affect all of us, and so um, it is really important to pay attention. And I it, you know there, I see some parallels here with this election and virtual reality because I spent a lot of time asking smart people if they thought virtual reality was here and ready, and the answer was always no, and they always gave me outdated information about why, right? And, and they were always wrong about that. And then when they got the new information, they changed their mind, and then. That was one of the things we were doing when we invested in forty virtual reality companies. We were also trying to convince people that it was here to stay, and it wasn't hard. Everybody once they realized what was going on did that. I think that there is something similar with this election. I, I do think that there's a lot of misconceptions about um, the Republican candidate in particular that are no longer true, and one of them was uh, that I heard said a lot was that there was no way he could win the republican. Nomination. We've been saying every years, <laughs> right? Now they have. He's him. been trying. He's been. He's been saying publicly he'd like to be president for at least three decades, right? And and so that's one of the reasons why you can get lulled into a sense of complacency, like it can't happen, because it hasn't happened. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. Actually, VR was the same way. It's we've been aware of it for thirty years, and people are like, "Well, it's not happening." Well, just nah, because it, it happen- hasn't exactly. happened in the past doesn't mean it's not happening right now. Right so when he when he, when he won that, he disproved that, and we need to throw all of our other misconceptions out. So another misconception is that he can't win the presidency. Uh, I think he's leading the polls today already we're, we're We're six months away um he was He was behind uh, Hillary like ten points like a week and a half ago and, and that's it. The gap's closed and I think that um part of that reason could be because there's a lot of disenfranchised people who are not having their voice heard in this country. And that has something to do back to the Institute again, which is, shouldn't we be thinking about what happens um, when there are shifts in in demographics and shifts in technology and what happens with people who, maybe the whole society overall benefits, but there are some people who are left behind. Shouldn't we be doing something about that? And we should. And I mean, when, as a
0: company, like this is also your first like changing of the guard, right? Like it's, which is also just the a daunting time in and of itself. I think mm-hmm. when you start to the mm-hmm. institute type of conversation.
1: Yeah, although uh, when when um, when there was you know Romney versus Obama, uh, I wasn't very worried about that. I thought those were two incredibly competent people who were well prepared to run the presidency. True. And one of the things I look at the most about a leader, and and especially the leader of the free world, it's a big responsibility. Is this a community person? Do they care about the people around them? Are they acting in the best interest of society? Are they empathetic? It's one of the most important things you could possibly do. And anyone who thought that this Republican candidate could not become the candidate needs to ask the question, is this person? And ask it on the other side. Ask all the candidates: Are these people? Who are they capable of empathy? Do they show it? Can can you tell that they're looking out for you? Can they tell that they're looking out for people around them? Do they exhibit leadership? Are they? Do they understand that the world is a complicated place and that they need to be listening and understanding in today's world? And are they? uh, Do they have a, a pattern of making good decisions that benefit other people? And in at least one of the candidates' cases. There is no evidence whatsoever that empathy exists, and there's no evidence whatsoever that this person can put the community above themselves. It's never happened. There's been hundreds of opportunities to do that, and there was no case in which the community was put in front of this person. So if you continue that line of thinking, and it does right. mean that, that in difficult situations where that person might individually benefit at the expense of society, then you can ask yourself what, what, what happened there, and you need to really think about that.
0: Yeah, the empathy is such a great word, and I think it's a very like it's a central, even focal point of like of like what well, we all sort of need to succeed. Like really, like you like you said, you you kind of fe- you know what your founders feel on a day to day whether it's the angst or the fear or the loneliness of like being in a room all day. All it. <laughs> yeah, all yeah. of like you know, and you designed your entire ecosystem around that, mm-hmm, like around. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. Like I think with that particular candidate. Um, it's there, there is that lack of like, there's no realization of the domino effect that's happening. And, and this, the scary thing for me, especially being a minority is that, you know, it wasn't just, it's not that it's him. It's also just the fact that there is, there are millions of people who agree with him. I mean, you talk about the disenfranchised people who may not, you know,
1: I think they agree with change. So there's no way you could agree with him because he doesn't have any stand on anything that he sticks to. So it's not possible to agree with him. But you could agree with the concept of him, which which which, which is change in some way. Although um, he is obviously a politician. So uh, the change that they'll or get... Or is he? Oh, of course he is. <laughs> well, I mean, now he is, but yeah. He's a master politician. Right.
0: Um, let's switch gears. Um, uh, this is a, a very curious thing because I think, you know, we get a lot of marketers who listen to the show. Um. You know, we started off the show really... Uh, the innovation crush as a whole kind of speaking to where marketers can go for, you know, just what's next and what's new. How should brands be thinking about the, you know, this early stage frontier technology that you're, whether it's space, you know, travel or VR, um, uh, just how should they be thinking about it at this point in time? Is it time to test the waters with, you know, craft? <laughs> uh, I mean, at this
1: point, I, I think that the majority of brands are, are testing the waters with with especially with virtual reality um all of these types of things that we do play out in different ways but with vr you have the uh, ability to um you know, you know have that feeling of presence so one of the interesting things that could happen is existing retail stores could become destinations again you know more, more so than in a world where uh, you know e-commerce exists um you don't have to go to stores really. But then in a world of VR, it's possible for stores to maybe even have VR installations in the stores that they only have in the stores. So they pull you there and it becomes part of an experience. And you can imagine going to, you know, like an outdoor uh, clothes company so- place or something where uh, you REI. <laughs> sure. You go to REI <laughs> and then they have a really, really awesome VR thing where you're climbing in the outdoors and you're hanging over cliff stuff. You w- maybe wouldn't even do in real life. And that could be really awesome. And And then of course, you know, very thinly veiled as an ad, you could have REI stuff all over the place, and it could it could be a lifestyle. So I think that if you you know in the future, if you go to a mall, you you may actually have a ton of awesome VR exhibits everywhere that helps engage you know helps get, get your mind on it. I mean, you can you can also sit in front of the runway or be be on the runway or something for a lot of the you know higher fashion places. So I I'd, I'd like to see that.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, you're you're right, and I think most brands are maybe not thinking about the business implications yet. They're thinking about like marketing moments, right? They're thinking like, Oh, can we create a piece of content or even mm-hmm. some sort of interactive experience,
1: but not like use it to start redefining their business. Which well, it's a- really cool. If, 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 if it could feel like an ad, if you're just watching it, but if you're part of something in fun, and fun and then it, and it may not even feel like an ad. Could, yeah. So, so when you talked earlier about building brands and you know, we talked about how that was uh, number of number and quality of interactions and consistency, I do think VR gives brands that opportunity to create more of those moments. I mean, I think there was a, there was a commercial where somebody was, you know, it was like Folgers or something where you're, where you're drinking coffee. Well, you know, that's the the best part of waking up. (laughs) Yeah. Right. With, uh, with your, like your parents there or something. But in VR, if, if you're like, if that's actually a nostalgic moment for you and then you use like facial recognition and, you know, computer vision (laughs) to, to like put your parents actually there while you're drinking the coffee, it, it it could actually just be really fun and interesting, even though it's also an ad.
0: I'd be nervous if my parents were standing in front of my bed
1: when, well, I, you know, that's... when I woke
0: up in the morning. <laughs> you should see what I do in the morning.
1: Oh, I don't want to see that. Um, <laughs> just
0: push-ups. That's all just push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we ta- you're right. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Education, politics, VR, AR, venture capital, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as we wind down, um, you've seen a lot of stuff. You, I'm sure a lot of stuff comes across your desk on a daily basis. What is your current innovation crush? What is the, one of the things that you're going to like? Oh my gosh, I wish I could get in that, or that uh, just amazes me for whatever reason.
1: Innovation crush, uh, interesting. When we when we see those, we invest in them. So you know, we have <laughs> we have like dozens of innovation crushes right now. That 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 was on you should full invest display. In the innovation crush. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get your. What's money back.
0: that? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I, and I I thought that would. Kind of be the answer, but you know, um, is there anything else out there that you've seen? I mean, it could it might be something you've seen in cuisine, maybe not on the investment side, <laughs> but just like,, oh, I went to this restaurant and there was an amazing experience, or I saw these shoes that laced uh, up from
1: the back. I don't even know if- <laughs> there <laughs> That's a great idea. there's there's a company called two bit Circus that I think could bring back you know arcades and it ties back to what I was saying about the malls because. Two-Bit Circus understands entertainment and frontier technology and they bring them together for experiences that you could have, you know, in, in person. And if they put those, if they put their types of experiences in malls, you, they could also update them. Like with software, like, like kind of like a Tesla can update its software and so it makes it a smarter car. I think they could do that with, with, with mall arcades and it could then be cool again to go uh, to, to the mall and, and to an arcade and see the stuff coming out next instead of the stuff that came out yesterday yeah and so that's and, and the people there are, are are really wonderful people
0: you're the first person that's answered that question with the previous guest from the show <laughs> so uh good good job but there's no prize i just i'm just letting you know um no brent and nolan were guests on the show together oh, and, and that was a that was a really fun moment i, I love two-bit circus to death i did <laughs> yeah. a really cool project with them uh, a couple of years ago and uh, happy to see their success uh, oh, yeah. so far. So creative. Yeah, he's amazing. His, in and his wooden bow tie. <laughs> um, last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is Beauty. Nice. What's beautiful about it? Where does the, where does the where do you see the beauty of the innovation kind of Well, they're
1: we live in a changing world and there's always, um, it's always opportunities for things to go right or wrong. And innovation helps guide us towards fixing things and moving things forward. And that is beautiful. That is beautiful. You're beautiful. (laughs) You're beautiful. You're handsome. You're far more (laughs) handsome than I
0: am. (laughs) And I like those Nikes too. the custom, uh, Rothenberg joints. um, Anything else? Where can people find you? Like, where do you find you on the interwebs? Uh, do you use
1: social media? Do you, or do you just, you know, look at companies in, in your in your spare time? Uh, you know, I, I use social media occasionally. Uh, I have an Instagram handle. It's uh, at Mike Roth, and then Twitter. It's uh, at Mike underscore Roth. So those, you know, got it, guys. Underscore if you gonna if you want to tweet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, tweet at
1: me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you
0: for stopping by. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me, everyone. This has been another installment of innovation crush. Thank you for listening. And uh, we will talk to you next time.